little behind, but that's not unusual for me. Let me say it's great to be with you tonight. It's always good to see the smiling faces of our brethren at Midway. And uh, I really appreciate all that you do. Uh, I know what this church stands for. I know that you've got a lot of love. And, uh, and it's just a wonderful thing that we've got the relationship we do here in Lawrence County. I don't, um, I don't know that everywhere you go, that's, that's always the case. And I'm thankful that we do. But it's a blessing for me to be with you, and I appreciate the invitation to, to be here. I noticed how David left town when he found out I was coming. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. I think he's filling in for Lance tonight over at Double Springs. Uh, that uh, is where he is, so uh, we'll, we'll miss him. You know, I, uh, again, I'm, I think that was a great idea. Is, uh, I think Ben Phillips was here last week, and he coincidentally used uh, one of the same songwriter that I used tonight, and I don't know if you're, or you, even if y'all have announced, did you tell him what it is, Aaron? See, Aaron, I, when Aaron, and I have to be careful, Aaron's always going to get the last word with me because I go to him for adjustments and I want to walk out of there. <laughs> and so I, I'm smart enough to say, okay, he gets the last word tonight. But I, I told him the other day that I, when David called and asked me, the first song that came to my mind was Salvation Has Been Brought Down. And uh, I love that song. I, I probably every singing that we have, I, I lead Salvation Has Been Brought Down. And I've sung it to my grandchildren while they were babies. Every one of them heard that song when they were in a rocking chair. And, uh, and I, I think it's a, it, it sends the message. We're going to talk about that some tonight. I don't know how much Ben got into um, Brother Brumley, but I, I use the word brother because he was a member of the church. And we're going to talk about him a little bit tonight. Let me make sure that I've got this. Oh, yeah, I, it's working. I'm used to uh, the big screen at Aldridge Grove behind me, so I have to get over to the side, and now I can see where uh, I'm going to have to get acclimated to this. But I think it's a great idea to to think about song, You know, when you think about our singing, this is probably one of the most important things that we do when we come to worship. And I, not that I'm trying to take away from the other acts of worship, but I tell people oftentimes, when you think about, um, if we were going to honor Mr. Stradivarius, were he still alive today, if you were going to honor him, that great violin maker, and we were having an assembly to honor Mr. Stradivarius, would we want to use somebody else's equipment? What would you think we ought to be doing? Whose, whose equipment, whose violin should we be using to honor him? And I, and I think all of us say, well, we want to use, you know, the Stradivarius, or, or whoever it is, Mr. Fender, if you want to talk about guitars, or Mr. Gibson. But you think about Every one of us have been given an instrument made by God. And when we come together, this is what He wants to hear. And this is how we honor Him. Not with something that some piece of equipment, some mechanical piece of equipment that a man made. God wants to hear you praise Him with the instrument He gave you. And, and every one of us are blessed to have that. And you may say, well, mine doesn't sound as good as so-and-so's. I don't have that talent. Let me tell you, 
don't knock, don't knock the creation that God gave you. you. Whatever you've got, He blessed you with. And when it comes from you, He's hearing His children praise His name. And so our singing is so important. And I'll say this too to song leaders. I tell the, I tell the men where we are. Every service, without, at a minimum, we, we ought to have at least one song that praises God. Because if we've assembled and we haven't praised God in our worship, so we miss something. And so, one of the things that I like about this song also, the salvation has been brought down that we'll talk about tonight, is that it is a song that incorporates the praise uh, that God's worthy of and deserving of. Let me see where I can get started. I told you earlier that the songwriter, we're going to first start off with a songwriter, so you just a little introduction to the hymn. Albert E. Brumley was born in uh, Oklahoma. He was as dirt poor as he could be. He was the kind of guy that when you saw him, he probably was going to have overalls on and a tie. He, uh, he was so poor uh, that his, one of his songs, the one that's probably been recorded more than any other religious song in the world, uh, especially by all kinds of, of entertainers, is I'll Fly Away. And we could start off with, uh, Elvis, think of people like Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and even entertainers today still want to record, I'll Fly Away. Albert E. Bromley said that song helped come to him when he was out in the cotton field and he was picking cotton and he was thinking, man, he, he saw a bird. He said, if I was a bird and could fly out of this cotton field, that's, that's, that's what I'd do. Well, that's the kind of inspiration he ended up penning over 800 songs. But to get to that point, Albert Brumley went to a singing school. My dad, I, my dad was born in 1922, um, just a little later than Albert Brumley. But in South Arkansas, where we're from, my dad was uh, also one of those people, as many were in that area, to go to a Stamps. I don't know how many of y'all have heard of Stamps Baxter. Uh, quartets and music company, well, uh, they would have those singing schools. Well, Mr. Br uh, Brother Brumley heard of a singing school when he was just a boy, and it was in Hartford, Arkansas, and he got up, he had, I think, three or five dollars is all he had to his name. He paid 50 cents for a bus ticket, and he drove over to Hartford, Arkansas. And he got over there, and the man that was running the singing school said, well, have you got the tuition? He said, no, I don't, because <laughs> he, he, had, he had to have something to eat off. He said, but if, if I can just stay with you. And so the man may, ended up allowing him to stay with him to go to that singing school. And uh, he started working for this gentleman. And the next thing you know, eventually he ended up buying the company from him. And... He was just very successful. He only had a 10th grade education. And took that blessing, the gifts that God had given him, and look what he did with it. Because so many songs uh, that are even in our book today are Albert E. Bromley. And, uh, but I, I think of him and I'm thankful. His, he was a very devout, very devout Christian. His father, I think, was uh, maybe a part-time minister, Mr. Schnell, he, uh, his, uh, when he would write a song, if he couldn't get, he wanted to always know it was scriptural. 
So what he would do is he would go to the preacher or he'd go to his father-in-law and he would say, is this scripture? When he penned the words or when he wrote um, the, I guess I got a little out of whack there. Uh, maybe I need to go backwards. Uh, well, we're way ahead. We're going to get out of here quick tonight. <laughs> I may have to get him to take it back. But let me, let me tell you just a little bit more there before I get on to the next slide. Is that uh, he, when he penned the words to salvation has been brought down, uh, he first worded it as salvation will be brought down. And he went to his father-in-law, who was a, a member of the church, a devout member also, and he said, I want you to tell me, is the scripture? He said, well, tell you the truth. It shouldn't be will be brought down. It ought to be salvation has been brought down. And he changed the words because he didn't want to publish anything that wasn't scripture. And I think that's uh, very worthy of, of being noticed by, by us today. Uh, can you back that up a little? That's great. I'll... Now, the, oh, I see there's two little buttons. My hand's so big, I was pushing the wrong little button. He told me the big one goes forward and the little one goes backward. But I hope that gives you just a little introduction into Albert E. Brumley. You know, when you look at our songbooks, I don't know if y'all have talked about this, but certain brethren uh, put together our songbooks. And you may say, well, why not? Why aren't all the songs that are in our songbooks written by Christian authors? But we have to realize that a lot of us have old favorites that are still scriptural songs, even though they might not, they may not have been composed by a Christian or a member of the church. So we uh, have a lot of songs, though, that are written by members of the church in our books. I wanted to uh, mention some of the other songwriters that uh, here right now I'm getting it. Now I think I'm going in the right direction here. Y'all see me pointing? I don't know which way I'm supposed to point it. Y'all got any jumper cables? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let me give you some. And by the way, I, if, if, my, if you say, man, he can't do a very good uh, PowerPoint. I made this for a widescreen. <laughs> I didn't realize they were a little narrow here. I want to talk just quickly about some of the other great members of the church who you'll find in your book. One is Tillett S. Teddy, Tedley. Uh, who wrote Worthy Art Thou. And I don't want to get into somebody else's songs. I don't know if any of these. But wonderful songs. And I probably would say that had it not been for using Salvation's Been Brought Down, I would have been tempted to use one of these. Or Hear Me When I Call. How many of y'all have sung Hear Me When I Call? If you haven't, that is a beautiful song. Um, I, I, Tim Tucker, that used to go with us to, uh, out to Fairfield, used to sing that song. Don Lance loved it. And his dad, his, who was his father-in-law, many of y'all know Don, Don would request, want Tim to lead that every time we had a sing. And it would just give me chills. Tillard S. Tedley was a faithful Christian. But when you hear the words, the individual words, you hear a person who realized how unworthy he felt for God. And he took that psalmist statement of David from Psalm 4 that basically said, hear me when I call. And it's a beautiful song. Uh, L.O. Sanderson, uh, one of his great songs is Be With Me, Lord. Y'all familiar with L.O. Sanderson? Uh, 
I want to tell you this real quick before I get, I don't know if any of y'all ever had the opportunity to meet L.O. Sanderson. I did. When I was in school back in 1986, he came up to the Memphis school there where we were on Night Arnold. And he came in and we met him downstairs since he, he had done got to an age where going upstairs wasn't as easy as it used to be. And he told us some of the background of his songs. And it was one of the things that I will treasure all my life uh, was hearing him talk about the songs and some of the background of some of the songs. For example, you, won't, you may not know this, Buried with Christ, My Blessed Redeemer. Y'all know the song I'm talking about by L.O. Sanderson? He was the author of the words of that song. And he put that song, and it comes from Romans chapter 6. And it's based on the Bible that says, where, where Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he says, buried with Christ, and we, and we come up out of the water, and we're new creatures, and behold everything. Well, he penned all the words from Romans 6, and he sent it to, to Mr. Chisholm. Now, T.O. Chisholm was not a member of the church. He was a Methodist. But Ello wrote that song hoping that his good friend would recognize that salvation or baptism is an immersion. It's a burial. And, uh, and, and so when you see that song, when you ever read that song or sing it again, I hope that you'll be reminded of the part of the inspiration of why he wrote that song, but it's a very biblical and scriptural song. Um, Alton and V.E. Howard, I was telling, I think, Aaron, when I was at his office this week, or last week, um, V. Howard was from Monroe, Louisiana, Howard Music Company from down there. They, they originally, many years ago, were members at the Whites Ferry Road. I heard him preach, and I, uh, my old single New Testament, I said, would you just sign that for me when I was a young man and ask him to sign it? And I still treasure that signature of Brother Howard, but they wrote a lot of great songs. Tom Holland, and how many of y'all know that name? Yeah, everybody in here. We've been to the Diana singing, and, and now he's, a, he's another one of those that's passed on to the other side of Jordan. And, uh, but he did it. And tonight, I'm going to tell you that I took some of Tom Holland's, a great, what I think is one of his greatest lessons on reconciliation that I want to tie together with the message of salvation's been brought down. So I'm going to go ahead and give Tom Holland, Tom Holland his due. I, I, I'm not stealing it because I gave him credit for it. But let's move on. Let's talk. This is just some of the great Christian songwriters that we're, we're blessed to be a part of. Let's talk now about the song, Salvation. To sum up the message of the, of the song, Salvation Has Been Brought Down, I think you could sum it up, uh, or, or it sums up the, with one word, if you want to say it, what is this Bible? What does it represent? If I were to take this Bible and say, sum it up, Ken, in one word, I think there's one word that sums this Bible up. It's salvation. That's what this represents. And let's talk about that a minute. Uh, James 1.21, Therefore, uh, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. The implanted word, Peter said, that is what? Able to save your souls. That's, the, that's what this book is. It's the word of God. Paul used it in Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's, 
That's what this book is. And without this book, folks, we would we'll be lost. That's the reason this message that's contained in this book has to go to all the world and be preached to every creature under heaven because without this message, there is no salvation. And I'm not taking anything away from Jesus, but you know what Jesus equated Himself with in John 14 and verse 6? I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. You see, what did John say? John said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. You see, Jesus is the message. He's the message that this book contains. It's the salvation. So to sum up the Bible in one word, it's salvation. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about this term salvation. You know, uh, if, you'll look, if you can see on the screen, I used a diamond. I, a, a diamond has many facets. Uh, you'd hard to believe uh, it's been about 40 years ago that I sold jewelry and I used to have the ability to look into one of those magnifying glasses and, and see uh, maybe the impurities that were in a diamond and kind of knew what I was looking for. But when you look at a diamond, you can see there's multiple facets around that stone. And you get a little different view sometimes, depending upon as you look, concentrate on a facet. Salvation is somewhat that way. It has many facets. For example, one side of, of salvation, we could call it redemption. And that's some of the terms the Bible uses to be redeemed. And that, that term goes back to paying a ransom. You know, today we're having ransomware. You hear that term. Somebody's holding uh, their computer system for ransom. We just saw a very uh, shaky moment when the pipeline that you remember carries the uh, fuel up to the northeast coast was shut down because somebody was holding them ransom. Well, think more about people that when, in the many years ago that were being, or an individual today being held for ransom. And they can't pay that ransom themselves. Somebody's got to pay that ransom to save them. That's part of the, one of the facets of redemption. You know that Jesus redeemed us. It, it really is more pictured as a slave. If you can imagine, here's a slave. Helpless slave, has no money. And somebody comes along and says... Uh, starts the bidding and they go up for the highest... It went, or he's for sale, or she's for sale, and they bid whatever it takes to win that purchase. And it's an astronomical amount that that slave can't even imagine. But when the purchase is done, and the gavel falls, and the money's paid, the purchaser says to the slave, you're free to go. That's the picture of redemption. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that's part of what salvation is. He paid a price we could not pay. Another thing is redemption. And so I, I guess I'm one ahead. Redemption. What do you mean? to re, uh, uh, Let's see. No? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am ahead. Justification. And this may be because I'm used to this screen being on a different screen. Justification. Uh, the King James translates this concept of justification as righteousness, being proclaimed righteous even though one is impure and sinful. Uh, the old preachers used to use the term justification and they explain it like this. If you break the word up, it means just 
as if I had never sinned. And that's what Jesus does for us. He, he takes us and he, and, and he paid the price with His blood that makes us white as snow. He justifies us, declaring us pardoned and free from our sins. Reconciliation. You know, uh, this is a word we're going to spend a little time on tonight because I think this one best describes what salvation is. Becoming friends again. That's really probably the simplest way to explain reconciliation. You know, uh, we, we talk about uh, this term or think about this term. Have you ever known two friends that became enemies? And at some point, maybe they were able to reconcile and come back together. That's that picture of reconciliation that we're going to spend a little time on tonight. Let's talk about 2 Corinthians 5 here for a moment as we start to pick up on this idea of reconciliation. And, and I want you to be reminded tonight how blessed we really are. If you're a Christian and you're, you're a member of the Lord's church, you, you're, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I want you to think for a moment about how blessed we are. But I also want you to think about a mission we have. Look what... Uh, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, now here's our first time, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I want you to notice five times in these few verses... This word reconciliation is excuse me. Reconciliation, this concept of bringing people together who become estranged. Verse six follows on, and we continue the thought. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, and here's our word. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you see that this word reconciliation is hooked up to the train of salvation? It's, they're, they're so connected. And that's the message Paul's trying to get across to this church. These people at Corinth and to us, we still see this today. The picture of reconciliation. And it's a beautiful picture. Now, it brings us to a point. We want to look at three things tonight, and as we quickly get through this, Aaron, where's my clock? So I got how many more minutes? Five? Twenty? Oh, good. I can do this. 
I just want to be, picture, be sure. All right, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at three things. One is the implications of reconciliation, the explanation of reconciliation, and the location of reconciliation. And by the way, you might say, well, what's that statue got to do with it? That statue is titled Reconciliation. It's in uh, England. It was made, uh, it was originally designed in 1977 and installed or, or placed out. And it's, it was about a woman who searched over Europe for her husband after the war. But it grew to represent more than just a man and woman getting back together, reconciling a husband and wife. And it meant it really represented countries. And there's multiple, um, multiple pictures of that or, or places of that statue uh, around England and Europe. Even one, I think, in Japan. That, but that's the reason. You may say, well, what's that got to do with it? That's the reason I wanted to tell you that. Alright, let's look at an implication of reconciliation. What's one of the things that when I use the term reconciliation, what does that imply? For there to be reconciliation, there had to at some point be a separation. Now, you, if, if that's with two friends, as I mentioned, that's a horrible thing. For two people that were so close to become so divided that they've gone their separate ways. That, that's a terrible thing. Husbands and wives sometimes become separated and estranged. And it's a beautiful thing if there can ever be reconciliation. Sometimes nations become divided and separated. And that's a dangerous thing when two major powers are separated and divided and have no longer anything in common. But you know what's worst of all? Is when a human being becomes separated or estranged from God. And folks, that's the situation that all of us find ourselves in if we live on this earth long enough. We find out. You know what uh, Paul said to the church at Rome? He said, all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. So we see, it happens to us. It happens to people in this world. Let's talk a little bit more about this. Here's that problem. Isaiah's pictured it up like this. Surely, the arm of the Lord is not too heavy or short that He cannot save, nor His ear too dull or heavy that He cannot hear. But Isaiah goes on to say, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. An Ephesians writer said, and you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, there's that picture of the separation between man and God. A division. And this, the great divider is a little three-letter word we call, we, which terms sin. But it has massive consequences. James says if anybody you know, breaks one part of the law, they break it all. And sometimes we get to picturing our sins, and maybe my sins aren't as bad as somebody else's, but you know what? It's sin that separates us from God. And, and that's the implication that reconciliation is needed when we realize that we're divided from God. I'll tell you another thing that's implied in the term reconciliation is alienation. Uh, Colossians 1 and verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled. 
I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've seen sometimes people that loved each other and were so close to each other, it was just unbelievable. Great friendship, great closeness. And it seems like that when they became separated, there was as much alienation and hatred as there was love originally. You ever seen that? Have you ever seen that in husbands and wives? Two people that seem to be so in love, they married to live happily ever after, and somewhere this thing comes apart, and it seems like that greatest love that two people could have, there's the greatest alienation. Isn't that amazing? You know what happens with God? We become enemies of God. That's what happens. It's hard to believe how far man can get off from God. If you go back and look into the Old Testament, you'll see that here was so much that God did for mankind. And, and then the words, for example, during the time of Noah, that God looks upon His creation and He says, it seems like the thought of man's heart was on evil continually. So much so that the great God of heaven that created man in His own image says, I'm going to destroy the world in, with water. And I'm going to start over. And for 120 years while the ark was building, Noah was preaching and trying to get people to repent. And what happened? When the floods came, there were only eight people on the ark. How does man get so far off? You know what, folks? We're heading in that same direction as a society today. It's hard to believe how corrupt, how ungodly, a country that was supposedly built on principles relative to the Bible is getting. And that's scary. What does God do? You know, somebody said that a day is going to come where God's either going to have to step in or He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know what I mean. But that's what's happening. People are so alienated from each other. We have a government that seems like it's so alienated from each other. There's hatred. That's part of what this concept of reconciliation is. is. It, it, it implies that there is an alienation, and that's what we have with God. We're, when people get so far off, God may love them, but let me tell you, He doesn't approve of what they do. Another thing that I'll tell you that is implied is condemnation. When you think about reconciliation, that separation results in condemnation. For example, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let's back that up and go backwards a little bit. If there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, I want to ask you this. What is there for those who are outside Christ Jesus? Does that make sense? If there's no condemnation to those who are inside Christ, that means to be outside of Christ is condemnation. Can't imagine what it would be like to be at the edge of death and to realize that I'm unprepared to meet my God. But you know what, folks? Every one of us lives sometimes, you might say, within a step of death. I look at the obituaries. I know I had a 
client called this morning and he said, well, Ken, I said, how are you? He said, it's a good day. I look at the obituaries. My name wasn't in it. And that's the start of a good day. Well, I think a lot of us as we get older look at the obituaries. We're looking to see who we know that's gone. And I do that. And I pull up on the web, you know, and I look at our local funeral homes and, and I'm always amazed that the age is a broad spectrum. It's sometimes people older than me. It's people a little younger than me. It's people my age. And sometimes it's, you know, I think it was just today I saw one that was an infant baby. You see, there, we, we have no promise of tomorrow. Whether it's like the two, sadly, the two young men that were in the car wreck yesterday. You probably know what I'm talking about from Cortland. Just 16 and 17 years old. I told Kenny, you know, I was reminded uh, this morning, I told him, you know, I said, because it reminds me, he was in that accident when he was 17 years old, and um, I think about this often, how many parents would love to have their child to take care of, but they're gone. We assume that tomorrow, or we assume that we'll live this long life, but we have no promise of tomorrow. We're just one step from this next world to think about condemnation. Wouldn't that be a horrible way to face death? Those are just some of the things that are implied in this concept of reconciliation. Why there's a need for reconciliation. It's a sad and it's a hopeless situation. And we term it over the four-letter word called lost. Lost. You know, I think that uh, when you think about people being out in some forest, you know, occasionally people get out here in Bankhead Forest and the next thing you know, they're having to call the rescue squad out there and they search all night because why? They're lost. It's a sad thing. It's a scary thing. And I, I can't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be that. I wouldn't want to put somebody through that but even more so this concept of being lost. Well, let's talk about now the second, the explanation of reconciliation. What do you mean? Well, we got two people that are divided. Let's picture two people here that are divided. What are we to expect? If there's going to be some reconciliation, then the question should be, who's going to make the first move? <laughs> who's, going to, who's going to be the first one to step forward? You know, Jesus addressed some of this in the New Testament because the Bible says that if thy brother sins against thee, what are we to do? I'm to go to him. doesn't say he's supposed to figure it out on his own that he's offended me or he sinned against me. That's not, it's my job. My job to say, listen brother, here's where you sinned against me. You lied to me or you, you stole from me. You cheated me. The responsibility comes to us. My, Jesus didn't insinuate that I'm supposed to go out and tell everybody else what He did to me until I first go talk to Him. Who's going to make the first move? You would assume it's going to be the offender. But it's not. It's the offending. It's me to... It's up to me to tell Him. But who's going to make... Who should make the first move and in in, in to end this separation and division, to have reconciliation. The offended or the offender? Guess who did it? God. God was the first. He was the one offended. He's the one that mankind sinned against. It was, it was man that departed from God. 
But yet, here is a picture of a loving God, and, and Brother Brumley so, you know, uh, adequately talks about this in the song, about uh, what, a, what, a, what Jesus did in paving the way for redemption. But God came up with that plan. Matter of fact, Ephesians, Paul says in the book of Ephesians that it was in the eternal purpose of God. Here's God that created a man, put him on this earth, but he's got a plan that when and if he sins, and I say when more than if, God can see, we're going to have a plan. The eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord is what Paul says by inspiration. Here is God. That John 3.16 says, So love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? Because God had a plan to redeem man. Now why did He do that? I think back to the Israelites, and do y'all remember what God said to Moses? He said, Moses, here are these people, they've gone down there, right after I brought them out of Egypt, right after we crossed the, the Red Sea, I did everything for them, they saw all that, and now here they've gone and made a golden calf. Y'all know the story I'm talking about. And God said, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll just wipe them out and we'll start all over. And Moses talked to God like a friend, like a, you know, because that's really what they were. And he says, God, don't do that. You know, think about what the nations around us are going to say when they say, you couldn't bring them out of Egypt and keep them together. No, let's, let's, let's work on it. God is that kind of a God. He came up with a plan to redeem mankind when we should have been the ones on our knees. And that's the plan to bring Jesus Christ into the world. I'm bad about doing this. Let me find it now. So, let's go back just a minute. I'm, I'm here I am. This is, this is the picture. Let me give you just a little bit more picture. And that is the picture of Jesus Christ. When we talk about this reconciliation, to think about the plan they came up with that's going to put Jesus on a cross, to be spit on, to be nails driven through Him, to be beaten, to have a crown of thorns placed upon His head. That just I, You know, when I take the Lord's Supper, I don't visualize this plain... Hair, I see blood running down his face. Because when they crowned that crown of thorns, do you think they just gently placed it on his head? I don't think so. To think about his back and his body, how it was bleeding as the cords and the stones and the pieces of glass that they were scourging him with were tearing his body. That's the picture that God in his great foreknowledge knew was coming. Let's talk about this a little more with the location of reconciliation. I told you there's three things. We've talked about the necessity of it, and then we talked about the explanation of it. But where is the location of it? It's in this blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what the blood of Christ does for us. It is that price. You know, um, I, I go back and I study and I think about one of God's basic statements to mankind was whoever sheds man blood, man's blood by his blood, it's going to get, it's good, his blood's going to get shed. Because God says early on in the book of Genesis that the life is in the blood. That's where the life is. And we know that. That, that, that this blood that's circulating through our bodies right now... <laughs> 
You know, look, think about it. All of us in here got blood circulating in our bodies and we're doing it unconsciously. It's just doing it. And it's carrying the nutrition and it's carrying the oxygen and it's pulling off the impurities that are in our body and it's healing our body where it needs to be. All that was designed by God. By the way, accident? I don't think so. You've probably heard me say this before and I say it a lot, but I think, you know, we've got a thermostat in this building it's regulating that temperature and it's doing a great job if it keeps it within one to two degrees of what it set it back there on that wall. We're going to be impressed if it can keep it within one to two degrees. And that, was, that heating and cooling system was put together by great engineers and they, they designed that. There's a lot of thought went into that to put that in this room to try and keep that hopefully within one to two degrees. But while you're sitting here tonight, you're staying at the same temperature within a tenth of a degree probably all the time. You think there wasn't an engineer involved in the design of that? You think that's an accident? I don't think so. Young people, know this. I don't care what any man says. As long as you've got common sense, you can see that there is a design and there's a God. Mind came before matter. There was no rock designed this body. It was designed by God. That same God's God could foresee and say, listen, I'm going to design a plan to redeem man. Just like I can build man, I'm going to redeem man, and I'm going to do it with the blood that's shed on the cross of my son. And it's in Christ. That's where the location is. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, look what he says. Is that time? Is that, to, is that my five-minute warning? Or is that my warning? That's the end of it. Huh? Well, let me read real quick. Let me go to my next slide real quick. Okay, three more minutes. Listen what he sa- look what he says here. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, making himself of twain one new man. Now look in Ephesians 2 verse 18, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body in the cross. I want you to notice this, what Galatians 3.26 said. For you are all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, as many as of you were baptized into Christ, and then he goes on down there, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's where the redemption of man is found. That's where salvation is. It is in Christ Jesus. Folks, the question we have to ask ourselves is how am I in Christ Jesus where salvation is? Because it's in Christ. That's where the blood is. And that's where it is here. Salvation. When you think about the salvation that God brought to us, be reminded of this, that we ought to praise, as as Brother Brumley wrote, praise His holy name. Salvation has been brought down. And it was brought by His Son. Even though we might not have been worthy, it came. And uh, thank God. I hope that when you see the song and when you're reminded of the song, you're reminded of Brother Brumley and you think about how scriptural this message is. last thing I want to leave you with is this one statement. Sometimes we get to thinking, I don't know enough to tell somebody what to do to be saved. If you'll think about it, the basics of the message that we owe to every the world is found in this song. Jesus gave His life a ransom yonder on Calvary. You think about that. If you'll go pull up some of these scriptures that we're talking about, you'll see that that's where salvation is. Let us be telling the world that's our mission. Thank you all. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you.